let's, let's pray. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, you are here, and we welcome you here today. Lord, draw us deeper into your presence. Speak to us the words that you know each of us need to hear. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Open our hearts to your truth, Lord. We make ourselves available to you, and we ask that you would move powerfully this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, our psalm this morning proclaims amazing things about God. He has shown his power, it says. His works are full of his majesty. His righteousness endures forever. He remembers his covenant. He is faithful and just. And part of who he is, is that he redeems us. That's part of who he is. Holy and awesome is his name. And then comes that last, that line right there at the end. And it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I want to take just a moment to ponder what that means this morning. Because I can tell you that, as, that during my time as a priest, it has shown me that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what this idea is, about the, the fear of the Lord. When I worked with college students, my students really were, they, weren't, they didn't have fear of the Lord, they were scared of the Lord. That's what it was. They were really scared of him, scared of God. They had this idea in their head that a long, long time ago, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for them. But now, having done all that and gone to all that trouble, God is now up there in heaven watching everything they do, waiting for them to make a mistake so that he could get them. Does that make sense? That's how they felt like God was. He felt like he, was, he had done everything he could to save them only so he could set it up all anew to trick them and to catch them doing something so that he could punish us, so he could send us away from him. That's what a lot of my students really believed about God. So they lived in fear of him. They were scared of him. They weren't sure he could be trusted. They really didn't believe that he was good. Have you ever had that idea of God, that he is just waiting for you to screw up so that he can crush you? in this life. It's not just my students. A lot of people feel that way about God. But look, first, that's not the gospel at all. That's not what God is like. And second, that's not the kind of fear that this passage wants us to have when it talks about the fear of the Lord. I was talking to one of my students a few years ago, and what he said really struck me. He was telling me about how late one night he was visiting a website that he shouldn't have been visiting, really, and uh, he was really embarrassed to tell me about the website that he was visiting, and, uh, and, and so he said, but I shouldn't have been going there. But one, I, while he was on that website, he accidentally pushed one of those like buttons from Facebook that they put all over the internet, okay? Um, they put them everywhere. And he was visiting this webpage. He shouldn't have been there. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. He knew he shouldn't have been there, but somehow he had accidentally pushed like. And you know what that means, right? You know what that means? It means that immediately, kind of like the Gospel of Mark says, immediately everything happened. Well, immediately all of his friends got this notification that, that this student was at this website, and not only that, but he liked it a lot. <laughs> enough to tell them all about it, to want to click that button and just send it on out there, right? What a terrible thing to do. It was super embarrassing for him. He was horrified because you don't just click on a like button on a website. You just don't unless you really, really like it and you want everybody to know. And so he had done this and he was horrified 
And um, anyway, he frantically tried to undo his like. He went to his, web, his, his Facebook, and he was like, how do I undo this? How do I delete this? And he finally just was like, in terror, shut down his whole Facebook account because he just said, I can't handle this right now because all of a sudden, you know, everybody knows what I've been doing. All of his friends would have seen this. And this is what he said. He said, he said Father John, I realized in that moment that I was more afraid of what my friends would think of me if they saw what sites I had been visiting than what God would think of me. I was more concerned about pleasing my friends than pleasing God. I was more concerned about looking good to my friends than actually being good in the eyes of God. Why does it bother me more to know that, what my, fr- that my friends might know that I've been to this website than, than what God might think? And I just thought, isn't that exactly what we all struggle with? Isn't that exactly what we, what we struggle with as humans? Most of us live in fear of our fellow human beings rather than in fear of the Lord. And we live our lives worrying so much about what other people might think of us rather than worrying, well, rather than living our lives trying to please God. We're all so afraid that somebody might find out the truth about us, that they see that we clicked like on the wrong webpage. We're so afraid that someone might discover that we haven't got it all together, that we make mistakes, that we're sinners. And that's not the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of man. And that's where most of us live our lives. We live our lives there. And that's what this verse is talking about. I don't think this verse is saying that we have to be afraid of God in order to be wise. That's not it. Rather, it's saying that we should each be living our lives with such respect for God, that we should stand in such awe of who he is. He should be so awesome to us that it doesn't matter anymore what any man or woman might think about us. The only thing that should matter, the only thing, that should matter, is what God thinks. It's the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, that is the beginning of wisdom. But how many times in our lives have we decided to do something, to take a certain course of action, because, we want, well, because of what we think other people will think about us by doing that? How many times have we done something because of what other people will think? How many times have you done that? How many times have we allowed ourselves to be ruled by the fear that someone will scorn us or think badly of us or make fun of us? But see, none of that really matters when we fear the Lord because fearing him sets us free to fear nobody else. Does that make sense? That's why the fear of the Lord and not the fear of man is the beginning of wisdom because fearing God sets us free to fear nobody else. But still, sometimes hearing that verse can be confusing because so much of the time people really are afraid of God, which is not what this passage is talking about, but people are afraid. And I don't know where people get their ideas about God, about who God is and what he's like. Maybe it comes from their bad relationships with their parents. Maybe it's just bad preaching. Maybe it's bad preaching. I don't know. It could be. Or maybe they're like Adam and Eve and they've just believed the lie that God isn't good. I don't know. But over and over again in my ministry, I have to keep pointing people to Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Then look at Jesus. Look at how he treats people. Look at how he lived and what he does. That's what God is like. The Bible tells us um, that he is the image of the invisible God. You can't see God the Father, but you can see Jesus. And he's the image of God. Jesus said that if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. We know what God is like. So what is God like? Look at Jesus. 
That's what God's like. And what does God do when he shows up? Well, if you thumb through the New Testament, if you thumb through the Gospels, you find that he restores people, he heals people, he makes them whole. But for that student that I was telling you about, and for so many of people that I've known in my ministry, and maybe some of you are like them, this is the thing that they struggle with the most. To know what God is like, I tell them to look at Jesus. Don't be scared of him. Look at Jesus. But instead, they don't look at him. They're looking at themselves. They say, look at me. Look at what I've done. How could God want something like this? And like the younger son in that story about the prodigal father and his two sons, they think they are no longer worthy of God's love. Maybe some of you feel like you are unworthy of being loved and accepted by God just because of who you are. Maybe that's how you feel. Or maybe deep down you feel like you don't belong anywhere near God because of all the rotten things in your life. Got it okay? Everything good? This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> but maybe, maybe some of you feel unclean. Like, uh, you know, you, you think there's no way that God could ever love you or accept you. Maybe you don't feel like that today, but have you ever felt like that in your life? If you have, then hear this. The faith of the church has always been that we don't come to the table of God trusting in ourselves. We don't come to the table of God trusting in our own righteousness. We don't come to God trusting in anything that we have done. We come to the table trusting only in Jesus. Our confidence our confidence is in him and his gracious acceptance of us. We come because he's forgiven us, because he's welcomed us, because he's suffered on the cross for us. It's his doing. And all that's left for us is to receive his grace and love and to come to the table, to fall into his arms and let him restore us. Something that we humans tend to do is we tend to hate ourselves for what we've done. We tend to hate ourselves for our faults, and we'll take all the sin in our lives and we'll burden ourselves down with them and convince ourselves that God cannot possibly want us or love us. Not after what we have done. My sins are too great. I have fallen too far. The, the, there's no way he would want me to come to his table. There's just no way. But folks, isn't that what Christ came to do? To restore us and to redeem us, to set us free from our sin and to finally welcome us to his table? Isn't that what Jesus came to do? You know, a few years ago, my little girl would sometimes do something that would embarrass her. And I'm thinking about this one particular time we were at the, at the dinner table, and she knocked over a glass or something. And she was just so embarrassed that she'd, that she'd spilled, she spilled her drink. And, she'd, and this is what she'd do. She'd get up from the table, and she would run away crying. And she'd say, I don't, I, I don't want to sit at the table with y'all. I, I don't want to do that. Um, she'd just run away. And my little girl, she was about five, five years old at the time, uh, she'd run away and she'd be so angry with herself for making a mistake and she'd punish herself and she'd refuse to eat with us because she'd done something wrong and she hated to mess up. And even though we were calling her to come back, she'd just run away crying and angry with herself. And you know what she was doing? She didn't feel like she belonged there at the table. She didn't feel like she could sit there because of what she'd done. She was so ashamed of herself. She thought she didn't belong there with us. And when we tried to get her to come back, she wouldn't come. And when, she, when we'd tell her it was okay, she believed that it wasn't okay. And she kept herself apart from the rest of her family. And the sad thing is, that's how some people feel about their relationship with God. 
today. They feel like God couldn't possibly want them after what they have done. They imagine that God doesn't want them around. They imagine that they are not welcome at his table. And so they keep themselves away from God. Okay. Just, it's okay. But just be quiet. Thank you. Here's the thing. People feel that way about their relationship with God all the time. But when I was sitting at the table with my little girl, running away from the table after spilling her milk, when Ashley and I were trying to get her to come back, that's not at all how we felt about our little girl, is it? We loved her. She was precious to us. We wanted her back. Of course we want you back at the table with us. And so you know what I would do? When my little girl would run away like that, I would run after her. I would run after her. And I'd chase her down, and she'd, and she'd scream, no, Daddy, no. And I had to just hold her and hold her and hold her and tell her it's okay until she would stop kicking and screaming against me, until she finally let herself be loved again and restored with the, with the family around the table. And, he, and, and I just want to tell you something that you already know. I'm not half the father that God is. I'm not a fraction as good as he is at being a father. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you don't belong at the table with God because of what you've done? Have you ever felt like God couldn't possibly want you because of your faults? That's why Jesus came. That is exactly why Jesus came. He came to chase us down, to wrap us in his arms, and to hold us and hold us and not let go until we stop kicking and screaming, to heal us and to restore us to his fellowship and to bring us back to his table, his table where we find mercy and grace. That demon-possessed man in the synagogue, we just read the story about him in the gospel. He was kicking and screaming, and he believed that he didn't belong anywhere near God. And the reason he believed that is because all the scribes and the Pharisees and the rabbis told him he didn't belong anywhere near God. Back then, if you had a a possession like that or some sort of uh, skin rash, you didn't belong near God. But there he was, still, in that synagogue. He was possessed, he was broken, he was unclean. But then God came in Jesus to restore that man, to heal him, and to set him free. And people, that's who God is. That's what God does. And that's what he wants for each one of us. So today, may you fear the Lord. May you live the life that God created you to live because you are no longer afraid of anyone else. May you fear him so he can set you free of all other fears. And when you are feeling far from him, like you don't belong anywhere near him, may you let him chase you down and wrap you in his arms and restore you to his table. Because that's what the Father wants most of all. And that's the kind of God and Father that he is. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask you to set us free from all other fears. Fears that keep us from living the life you've created us for. Fears that hold us back. The fear of others. Forgive us for caring more about what other people think than living for you. And God, for anyone here who feels far from you, I pray that you'd uh, catch them, even if they're running from you, and restore them to your fellowship, to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.